Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. We're starting a new series today called The Cross-Shaped Life. And, to, and this past week begins what, what, we, what the body of Christ, the church, has been doing for centuries. It's called it's a season of Lent. And Lent season is the 40 days prior to Easter, not counting Sundays, where we are to prepare our hearts for Easter, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the biggest day, biggest day of the year. But it's a time that I, uh, I encourage you to really engage in. This is a time where we invite the Holy Spirit to, to examine our hearts, to, to, to walk us through. It's, it's almost like an unpacking in a sort. You know, one of the reasons why I love backpacking and hiking is because it's a time that I can just unpack my mind, a, a time when I can just let go and kind of lay down of all these things. And that's why during this season, you'll often hear about people, they'll, they'll engage in practices like fasting, right? Fasting is the letting go in order to take on the things of the Lord. It's a, it's a time of confessional, of purifying our hearts and our minds, and a time of just, just really strengthening. And, and I love one of my favorite authors, Alicia Britt-Sholey, she talks about it's a thinning of our life in order to thicken our communion with God. It's a thinning of our life because oftentimes the person who gets in the way of Dwayne the most is a guy called Dwayne. And so I need to thin my life in order to thicken my communion with God. So this is what it's all about. And for this, as we walk this out, Jesus laid out this cross-shaped life so well. And this is the key passage that will be guiding us for these next, this season between now and Easter. And it's found in, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8. And we're going to be focusing on verses 34 to 35. Let's follow along together as Jesus said this. This is the cross-shaped life. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, that's Jesus, Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. In other words, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Yeah, you know. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news of the gospel, Jesus said, then you will save it. See, Jesus, he's describing this cross-shaped life. It's a life that is completely surrendered. Because when he talked about believing in me, when we use that word, he's talking about a life that is completely surrendered. It's not just a, a life that agrees with him or that believe that God is real. It's this completely surrendered life. And see, it's, this is the calling of every follower of Christ. Our lives are not just to be shaped by the things that we say, though you should say good things and that's a good start. Our lives are shaped, is cemented by when we put that faith into action and goods. When we actually start following and doing the things, this is when it's solidified and it's brought to life. And as Christians, as followers of Christ, this is, this is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about we wear this cross. So throughout the series, we're going to be digging into this. And as we begin this, we're, we're going to begin today by looking at it, by looking at the goal. See, every journey that we begin, everything that we do, it often begins with a goal, unless there's someone behind you trying to kick you in the place right, and get going along. When you set it on your own to do something, normally there's a goal. There's something you've seen, something that's caused you to go, I want to go that way or I want to do that. There's this goal that comes in. Because the goal, as we look at it today, this is the thing that as we keep it in mind, it helps you when the tough get going that you keep going because you're like, I've got a goal out there. I've got something I want to do, right? So what is the goal as we begin this whole cross-shaped life today? What is the goal of every believer? Well, very simply, the goal of every follower of Christ is to be like Christ. 
That's the goal of every believer. We are following Christ, and even in the early church when they began to call them Christians, that was a name that was given to them by pagans because they knew who Jesus was, and they saw a follower of Christ that was walking like him. So Christian meant they're like Jesus. Can you imagine a better compliment than that? To look down and go, man, she is just like Jesus. We are supposed to be walking in the way of Christ. Because when people experience Jesus, they want it to be just like him. See, no one loved like Jesus, no one spoke like Jesus, and no one walked beside people the way that Christ did. And I think today, as much as we try to be original, as much as we try to think we're being different than everyone else, the reality is we're all like someone. Those that we look at, those we admire, and those that we respect, they end up showing in our actions and affecting how we believe. That's why in the psalmist, it, there's, this, there's this warning about what we worship, what we look at, what we give attention to, because we will become whatever we give attention to. See, our nature as humans is we are born imitators. And imitation, it's not a bad thing as long as you're looking at something that is good and worthy of following, but that's how children learn, isn't it? We model for them. They learn how to speak because they hear their mom, their dad, those around them speaking. They learn how to walk because you're walking. And the actions and the things that they pick up, for better or for worse, come from their dad and their mom. This is, this is how we learn. And this is all part of God's plan. See, Jesus came not just to rescue us. That's step one. Jesus came to rescue us and redeem us and, re- and reconcile us back to God. But Jesus came to show us how we are meant to live, to show us the way that we are to walk in. And a big part of Jesus' discipleship process was to display very clearly to his disciples, to display very clearly to the world who he was, because we're called to be imitators of Christ. And when we look at the Bible, one of the first things that we see very clearly is that Jesus, he was the son of God. This meant that he was worthy of being imitated. The Gospel of Mark begins with the baptism of Jesus where God declares, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. From there, Jesus goes and he overcomes temptation. We're going to face a lot of temptation in our lives. We We all face temptation in different forms. So from the baptism, Jesus, he heads into the wilderness for 40 days where he's tempted by Satan. And there Jesus showed that, first of all, everyone is tempted. Temptation's not sin because Jesus was sinless. And he also showed in that how we can overcome. That through the power of God's word, we can overcome any temptation that's out there. Jesus also showed that he was not only a leader, but he was a friend. With his disciples, as he led them and as he pulled them in, as he revealed the, the, the will of the Father to them, he said, I now call you friends. There's that intimacy. Jesus was our healer. Uh, Jesus was our teacher. And they even, even said in Matthew 7 that the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not just the scribes. Jesus, he confronted the powerful who abused their authority. He befriended the lonely and the marginalized. He was was found in every corner of society. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus, he taught in the temple every day. He refreshed himself in the mountains and the wilderness. That's one of my favorite imitations right there. He ministered in the markets. He was a friend of sinners. And he even called a hated tax collector to be his disciples. This is who Jesus was and is. Jesus, he leveled all the social structures. He welcomed both men and women to follow him, and he also took time to sit down with children. Today, we place children at the center of everything, but it was not that way back then. Jesus, he came in, and he took time, he sat down, and he said, let the children come to me, and he said, don't stop them. 
For the kingdom of heaven that we sang about earlier, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. He was at ease in the sun and the breeze, and he slept peacefully in the storms. He was always in charge, always had complete authority, but instead of flexing it, he used it to reveal the love of God and to transform lives. And then Jesus, he was our forgiver. And even when people turned on him, even when people hated him, even when people knew better, despised him, and sought to overthrow him, his prayer was, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. And in that way, as we imitate Christ, that's how we're called to forgive. See, this was Jesus, the Lamb of God, who Revelation says was worthy to receive all power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. See, this is the life that Jesus lived, and it's the goal that he set out for us as believers, to be followers, to be imitators of Christ. Can you imagine that? Thinking of everything that Jesus did, everything that he does. We're called to be imitators of Christ. And more than imagine, do you believe this? Do you believe that this is the life that Jesus laid out for me to live, for you to live, for every person to live? Is it possible? Well, the answer to this question, it's an overwhelming yes. This, this, this can be done. This is the way that we're made to live. And I love how Jesus affirmed this. I think this is one of the biggest, script, biggest uh, scriptures in the Bible. In John 14, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me, again, remembering believing means that complete surrender, will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. That's mind-blowing to me. But yet, this is the life to the full that we see in John 10. 10. This is the goal of every man, every woman, every child, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, every nation and every tribe. Our call is to be like Jesus. How is that even possible? Because if you're like me, there's many times I feel that I fall short. How many of you feel like you fall short of the glory of God in your life, right? Yeah. <laughs> Am I perfect? No. Are you perfect? So how do we do this? See, Jesus, is not, he's not just tempting us. He's not just teasing us by putting something out in front, right? This is something that you can do, but not really. This is what Jesus is calling us to. And he lays it out. It's the verse that I read earlier. This is how we do it. He says, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Deny yourself. This is step one. Step one in our methodology, deny yourself. Deny yourself. See, self-denial is step one, and you can't skip it. You can't bypass it. You can't pay it off. You can't say, you know, honey, can you go deny yourself for me? You should never say that. See, no one can come to Christ. No one can be an imitator of Christ without this step. This is what Jesus means when he says believe. Even Jesus denied himself. In Mark 8.31, it said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And then in Mark 10, it said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give up his life as a ransom for many. 
See, Jesus led the way by laying down his life. And he even said to God, he said, not my will be done, but yours. I came to do the will of the Father. And right here, in this very spot of self-denial, of laying yourself down, this is where we start to lose it. Some of us hide it better. Some of us, we've grown up in church all our life, and so we know how to hide those things. How many of you are really good at hiding stuff? Right? You know where all the hiding spots in church are. But this is where we lose it. It's this spot. See, we like the goal. Walking on water, count me in. Taking a little bit of bread and fish and breaking that up and making it delicious and having extra to take home, I'm on board with that. But it's the methodology. It's laying down our life because the method is tough to understand for us. And it's painful, very painful to do. Even Peter, the disciple of Jesus, who walked with Jesus, saw all this stuff. Even Peter, he struggled with Jesus' own act and his own example of denying because he's following Jesus, and Jesus had begun to teach about how he must die, how, must he, how he must lay himself down, and this just blew Peter's mind. Why would Jesus do this? I mean, he's all-powerful, and in Peter's mind, I think even in our minds, you know, powerful people don't need to do this. You can pay somebody else to do that. Jesus, you don't need to give up your life. Jesus, you're, you're the Son of God. You don't need to lay your life down. And so because it was so mind-blowing to him, Peter, who loved Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who threw down his net, he does something that he thought in the moment was right. How many of you have done something in the moment you're like, this is righteous, this is good, this is what God's even, God even said, right? He even kind of has that rising up within you. And he looks to him, and the Bible says that Peter, he took Jesus aside and he began to rebuke him, Right? I don't know what name, Jesus, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I mean, I don't know how that works. But in that moment, he's like, there's no way. He rebuked the Son of God. All the stuff he saw, he's like, there's no way. Again, Jesus has just, he was teaching on it. He was talking about it. He was showing them. He's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's too much. But this was such a key moment. This was such an attack not willingly by Peter. I don't think Peter meant to, to have this strong of an attack. But it was such a key moment that, Je- that Jesus could not let this go. See, denying yourself is so important that Jesus had to be very clear in this moment. Because there was too much hanging in the balance. Too much hanging in the balance. So what did Jesus do to this attack? This attack on self-denial, it says that Jesus turning, seeing his disciples, the disciples, they saw Jesus, they saw Peter rebuking Jesus. He looked, he saw the disciples, and then he looked at Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. And when you look at that scripture, there's an explanation point on that, which means that he wasn't just like, get behind me. You know, Peter, you didn't know what you're doing. Peter, you know, you do some stupid stuff sometimes, so we're going to let this go. Jesus all authority, with all power as the Son of God, looked at Peter in the eye and said, get behind me, Satan. He said, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Whoa. I mean, isn't that a little strong? Does that come across strong? I mean, get behind me, Satan. Jesus, you're calling me Satan. Of all the things you could call me, You can call me stupid, you can call me impetuous, you can call me emotional. Satan, why would you call me Satan? 
See, this moment was so important that Jesus had to hit it straight on. This was a rescue moment. You know, there's times when we coach people and we come alongside gently, but when a child is running into the street and there's a semi-truck coming, you will tackle that child to, to save their life, won't you? When someone's running for a cliff, you will run for them and you will tackle them to say, you don't know where you're going, you don't know the danger that's ahead, you don't know what you're saying in this moment. And Jesus in this moment, it was one of those moments, and he looked at Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. The words of the enemy are in your mouth as he's attacking this because focusing on ourselves is so destructive that Jesus in this moment, he was saying that when we do this, when we focus on ourselves, and when we encourage others to do the same thing, the disciples are walking that we are actually speaking, we're actually focusing on the words of Satan and not God. This is how important self-denial is. This is what denial means. Now in this, note, Jesus, he's not saying don't take care of yourself, right? He's not saying walk around and go, man, I'm just suffering, I'm, so, I'm doing so much for the Lord, look at me, poor me, right? No, that's putting the spotlight on yourself, right? I mean, Jesus, he rested even during storms. He nourished his body, and the food was good. He celebrated with people. He had regular times of getting away. He corrected the Pharisees when the Pharisees wanted the disciples to suffer more on the Sabbath and not pick the food that they need. Jesus corrected them in Mark 2, but he said, no, Sabbath is made for meeting the needs of the people. See, this is all about being good stewards of what God has given us, the body he's given us, our health. But it's all for the goal of living ourselves for God as an empty vessel that he flows through. See, we take care of this because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We do our very best. We are rested because a rested version of Dwayne is much better than a stressed out version of Dwayne. Ask any of my kids. They'll take a rested dad better than a tired, stressed out dad. All for the goal, all for stewardship, all for what Paul says in Romans 12, 1, to be that living sacrifice for God. See, we do this so that God can easily pour through. See, when we're stressed, we're like this, but when we're rested with the Lord, it's just, I'm remembering those things you told me. That's why when Jesus said, you must deny yourself, step one, that word deny there, First of all, it it means that we affirm that that one has no acquaintance or connection with someone. That's the first part of the definition, right? When we deny, it affirms that one has no acquaintance or connection. I deny it. But then secondly, it means, as it relates to ourselves, that it's to forget oneself, to lose sight of oneself and one's own interest. In his book, The Cross of Christ by theologian John Stott, he says that one of the best examples of denial, sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll take like the opposite version, right, or how somebody misapplied, misapplied it to, to somebody to explain it. He says that one of the best illustrations of this is looking at how Peter denied Jesus. John Stott writes, To deny ourselves is to behave towards ourselves as Peter did towards Jesus when he denied him three times. He said the verb here is the same. He disowned him. He repudiated him. He turned his back on him. Self-denial is not denying ourselves to luxuries such as chocolate and cakes, though it may include that. 
He said it is actually denying or disowning ourselves, renouncing our supposed right to go on our way. John Stott, The Cross of Christ, beautiful book. See, this is how we're supposed to treat ourselves. When I follow Christ and when I come in, the old Dwayne is dead. He's dead to me and dead to everybody else. I don't know who the old Dwayne is. I don't want anything to do with the old Dwayne. That guy's dead, he's gone, and now there's a new Dwayne who is completely alive in Jesus, filled with the power of God, and walking in the way that he has for me that's reflecting and initiating Christ in every part of his life. That's the Dwayne that God made me to be. Filled with him, we're all made in the image of God. Now as I surrender, the old Dwayne, the sinful Dwayne, and you don't think there's any sin in my life, just talk to my sisters, they'll tell you. That Dwayne's gone. And in its place, the Bible says that when we surrender, we're filled with the Spirit. We become a new creature. We become this new creation. We're now becoming the way that God made us, the giftings, all the things that he intended for us. That's why denying ourselves, it's a complete disregarding of ourselves, our wants, our desires. It's disowning ourselves. And those who have experienced Christ, this can sound exciting when you really truly experience this. But to those who are foreign to this, it can sound very weird and even wrong. And I think it's especially weird in the culture that we are living today where there's so much attention put onto ourselves. See, the world that we live in today, it preaches the exact opposite of this. The main doctrine that is in our culture today is the doctrine of individualism. Have you heard of that before? See, individualism is the doctrine that says that the answer to life is found not outside of ourselves, but the answer is found within me. It's a social theory that favors the freedom of individual action of that of others, the greater community. It's a belief that true joy and true success are not found in denying myself what I feel, what I think, but it's found in wholeheartedly embracing that whatever I feel is good. And it's a philosophy, it's a worldview that gained a lot of traction back in what's known as the Enlightenment era of the 18th century. Because though the Enlightenment era had a focus on education and reason, very important things, study, go through, God's given us a mind, that's part of what, what we do to worship. Don't check your mind at the door, right? When you come in here, think about it, reason, study. And we have all these tools available. But unfortunately, its goal was to remove us From the one who gave us our mind. God gave us our mind to worship him. All logic. Enlightenment thought to disconnect our brain from the one who gave us the brain. It's like connecting your brain from the thing that is meant to empower it. Another one of my favorite authors is Mark Sayers. And he, he describes the effect of the Enlightenment era on a modern day when he writes, this movement developed sophisticated responses to religion and secularism, arguments that few people on the street are familiar with. One Enlightenment belief, however, has trickled down to street level. It's the notion that the drive toward human perfectibility and social utopia will be accelerated as religion, understood as a primitive superstition, erodes away in the face of undeniable facts of post-Christian society. In this understanding, faith is seen as something that holds back the assumed march towards progress. In other words, the Enlightenment era proclaimed that utopia will be achieved as we remove God from it. 
God's a superstition, as we remove from it and just use logic, then we will walk further and further and closer, closer, closer to this utopia. Bless you. It believes that life should be human-driven instead of driven by God. And those that preached those beliefs back then, they thought that by now, as we sit here in 2023, that utopia, welcome, my friends. Welcome to utopia. Now, as you reflect on the last several years and you reflect on where we are right now, would you use the word utopia? Are we living utopia? As much as I love you all, as much as I love so many things that are happening, This is not utopia. See, sociologists will tell you that we're living in one of the most unhappy, anxiety-driven times in our history. Mental health is struggling. Relationships are struggling. We're divided politically. We're divided relationally. Trust and leadership is at an all-time low. I mean, and I could go on and on, but you, you already know all of this. The more that we focus on ourselves, the more that we implode and we're blowing up over everybody around us. May God help us all if I just focus on my way. It's self-destructive. And unfortunately, this is even true within the church at large. I know I'm quoting a lot of people today, but uh, these are some of my favorite friends. Second to all of you. See, but Tim Keller... He's done this great study on how individualism is, is one of the great problems with American Christianity today. And, and he, he points to this individualism, this self-focused, as one of the great causes of the decline of Christianity in America. Keller describes the, the root cause as being one where we have become self-focused instead of others-focused. See, when we see this, when we look at how someone describes the church... And they'll often describe the church, the body of Christ, as a place to be fed. Have you heard that before? Right? This is a place just to be fed. And sometimes people say, I left because I'm not being fed. Now, when I think about being fed, this is confessional time, I think of one of my favorite places that very few of my family want to go with me to, and that's a buffet. We can be very good friends if you like buffets. See? I know, right? See? The word of the Lord's going forth. I love buffets. And while I was at a town doing ministry just a couple of weeks ago, I was all by myself. Guess where I went? I went to a buffet. Went to a buffet. And I was so excited. I almost didn't do it. I was like, no, I shouldn't. And then I was like, no, I, I, I really should. Went into the buffet, and I mean, everything you could imagine was there. I mean, it, it had all the ice cream. It had all the desserts. But it, it had steamed broccoli. No line for steamed broccoli. It had, it, it had healthy stuff, it had good stuff, and, you know, I'm trying to regain some stuff. You know, I got a, a diagnosis from, from my doctor, Manual Physical. He said, you're pre-diabetic. He said, I can medicate you, or you can, you can control your mouth. I said, well, controlling your mouth sounds like a biblical thing. Let me try doing that. And so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to do some things. I had a little cheat. And I went through, but, you know, I hadn't been in a buffet since pre-COVID. Buffets weren't very popular during COVID times. <laughs> And I was, and so it, it had been a while, right? But I walked in, and it was just, it was overwhelming how, like, people just in general, I know this is a judgy statement, right? But in general, it wasn't like savoring the food. 
it was just like piling high and pulling it in and just getting as much as you can. I mean, even like when I let somebody in front of me, they were like, you don't know how things work here, do you? You know, it's just, it was just, it was just like, get it and get it and get it and get it. And I'm just like, man, man, I gotta, I gotta use some discipline here. It was like everyone for themselves. You know, there wasn't a lot of enjoyment or savoring. It was just like, I can have as much as I want, so let's do it. It's a little exciting to me, too. I love buffets, like I said. And again, don't get me wrong, I love buffets. And if I'm ever alone, I plan on going back again. <laughs> right? But this is not the church. This is not the body of Christ. This is not a buffet. When Jesus describes us, he describes us as the body of Christ. You're a hand, you're a leg, you're a foot, you're an eye. You're, you're, you're all these things. It is not a place to come. Yes, do we encourage? Yes, we teach it. We see this in the early church. We see this in the life of Jesus where we teach and we do these things. And yes, if I'm not preaching the word of God, if I'm not laying this out, this is not the place for you or this is the place for you. And You need to talk to a board member and go, Dwayne's messed up. He's not preaching the word of God. So we need to lay it out. We need to encourage in that way. But it's all so that we can engage with the gifts that God has given us to be the body of Christ. I mean, a hand that doesn't work is not celebrated. Look at that hand doing nothing. Perfect. No. If a hand's doing nothing, we tie it up, we say something's wrong, and it's not there. Some hands even get amputated because it's not doing anything. We are all meant to engage and to connect. That's the life of the fool that Jesus is telling us about. That's the empowerment. When you walk in the will of God, when you use your gift and you're flowing it out, you're like, wow. There are people that love to go to the nursery and have a baby throw up on them. They do. Some of you are probably here. Why? Because you look at this precious baby and you're like, I'm going to speak the words of Jesus to you. You're such a beautiful baby and I can't wait. Right? There are people that shovel snow. There are people that do all these things. There are people that teach classes. There are people that come in during the week and help file things and help organize things going on. There are people that run the lights and run the slides and run the sound and do all these things, doing the part being active so that we can gather together and then go out during the week. There are people walking through the grocery store and as they're picking up a piece of produce, they're saying, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me right now. There's someone's going to come along. And they're telling somebody about Jesus when they're buying cauliflower or whatever it is. We're active. Because I'll tell you, when we're active like that, I was walking through the mall. I only go to the mall for Eddie Bauer and REI. All right? Judge me, don't like me. I just, you know, that's what I do. But I had to walk through the mall. And I walked through, and I had this guy step out, and he said something to me. He said, are you a fully devoted follower of Christ? Do you believe Jesus is the way? He was selling shoes in the middle. And I was like, actually, yes. He was like, oh. I'm like, what? I said, that was your sales pitch, wasn't it? Try to pull me. He said, yeah. I said, well, I said, I believe it. Do you believe it? He said, he said no, I'm Muslim. And I was like, this is the greatest day of my life. <laughs> it was awesome. I was like, I'd walk through the mall for that every day. We had this great conversation, you know, and just walking it through. I said, well, why do you believe that? And he said, well, why do you believe this? And it was awesome. Stephanie was with me. She walked out. She was like, you're all jacked up now, aren't you? I'm like, yes, I am. Why? Because you're engaging with what God's called us to do. This is what it's meant for. And when we don't gather together regularly, when we're not gathering around the word of the Lord, when we're not going through this, we don't get to experience that. Because we realize in all those moments, 
the Lord is there. I mean, this is what it talked about in the book of Acts in the, earlier, in the early church. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. It said, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing proceeds to as many as had need. And look what happened. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. When we act in this way, there's something about it that you can't deny. When you see a people walking in unity and they just, they've abandoned themselves, they've denied themselves, even people who have hated it, they'll, I've seen them look at some of you and go, I can't deny that there's something different here. There's something that I need to engage with. Because we were made that way in the image of God. See, one of the reasons why Christ gave us the body of Christ was to get rid of the selfishness. The more you engage with people, the more it confronts how selfish you really are right? My friends have done that. Mary's really did that. There's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, right? It's just, it's just, it's there. That's the beauty of marriage. When you have two people fixing their eyes on Jesus. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Marriage has done so much to sharpen me and to shape me. And Stephanie will say the same thing. It's just it's that getting rid of it. It's, 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 it's no wonder why that's the example that is used. And the body of Christ, with the, that example of marriage, it's meant to refine us. That's why people back away. It's not a buffet where it's just all about you sitting at a table alone, eating your broccoli. It's, no, it's engaging, and you're talking, and things hurt, and people say weird things sometimes. Dwayne says weird things sometimes. And, you know, there's a refining process of engaging, but as we do it, as we commit to it, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. See, the church is meant to be this reminder that we find our life by losing it. Totally anti-cultural. See, being a part of it means that I get to serve under the power, under the authority that comes from Jesus Christ. This is why the word Christian was so powerful. It was so anti-culture, but yet so attractive. There was this rub. Being like Jesus. Being like Jesus. That's why one of the most profound things that Jesus did, it was not all of his miracles. See, Jesus, he raised the dead, and there were still people that didn't believe. Jesus walked on water, and he revealed his authority. One of the most astounding things that Jesus did and led others in was the act of denying himself. Because we try to hold on to ourselves with all we got. See, if we are to move forward, we need to let go of ourselves. We need to deny ourselves. We need to not like Peter, with I'm sure good motives, say, you know what, Jesus, no, no, no. We need to recognize that's not the word of God. That's not the will of God. Through this series, we're going to unpack a lot of things, but today, as it relates to this, I want you to go back to number one. Remember the goal. Right? Discipline without direction is just drudgery. 
I took a lot of piano lessons as a kid, not because I loved lessons, but because I wanted to play piano. I went to basketball camps because I wanted to play basketball. I went to college because I wanted to study music. I got married because I wanted to be with Stephanie. I'm here today because I want to see Shoreline reach for Jesus. And it's not the Dwayne show, it's the body of Christ. Laying down our life, it's the great exchange. Be like Jesus, but you got to die to yourself. You got to die to yourself. Am I willing? Am I smart enough to get it? <laughs> Am I smart enough to, why would I want old Dwayne? Selfish, insecure Dwayne. When I could walk in the fullness that the Lord has for me. I love how the Apostle Paul said it. And as the worship team comes. And see, to the Philippian church, Paul said, look, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said, for this sake, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. And Paul went through a lot of stuff. He said, I count it all as loss in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, just trying to do things right. But it comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. You see how often Paul, in talking about this, about attaining Christ and laying down his life, he talks about resurrection? We love resurrection, but do you know what you need to do first before you experience resurrection? You got to die. There's no power of resurrection. There's nothing new without first dying, laying it down. And Jesus, I trust you. I know you. That was his word to the, to the sisters about Lazarus. Like, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. He's like, he's not dead. See, Jesus, he knew that he had all power, all authority over death. And sometimes we hold on to what C.S. Lewis said, like these little mud pies, and we're happy we got a little mud pies here. And isn't this a good mud pie, Mommy? Isn't this a good mud pie, Daddy? And he's like, you're, you're so caught up in your mud pie that you don't know there's a whole ocean waiting for you. Throw it down. Wash your hands. Cleanse yourself. Lay it down. And trust Jesus in your relationships, in the brokenness that's around you, in the things that are taking place. I don't care if it's your finances, whatever it may be, but saying, Jesus, I'm giving it to you. I'm walking in your authority. I'm walking in your power. Because to live as Christ, to die is gain. Amen. Can we all stand together? Stand if you can. And even now, just open your life to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me in this moment. Speak to me in this moment. I want to walk in the ways of Jesus. If that's your prayer, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but boy, I would encourage you. Jesus, I want to walk in your ways. 
I don't want to get caught up with these mud pies. I want to swim in the ocean. I want to walk on the waves with you, Jesus. You know, as it relates to living this out, one of the books that I just walk through every year, it's a, it's, it's a book by Alicia Scholey. It's called 40 Days of Decrease, A Different Kind of Hunger, A Different Kind of Fast. And in that, she describes in there a time that she was going through very difficult things and struggling. We all got our stuff. And here's what she said. Would you read this quote from her with me? So the, God was not absent. The challenge was that self so very present. Wow. God is here. But he's looking at me and saying, Dwayne, are you, are you ready to get out of the way? Are you ready to hand it over? Are you ready to trust? See, humility is not about thinking less of yourself and saying, you know, what, what a stupid idiot person I am. And just, that's not a humble person. A humble person is someone who thinks about themselves less. And they show up and they serve and they give and they give and say, Lord, whatever it is, I know that you're going to make it up. You're going to take care of it. You're going to do it. This is the opportunity that you have. The goal of being like Christ, walking in his power in your marriage and your relationships and everything. But step one. Deny yourself. This is your opportunity to respond, and I, I encourage you to respond. It's not just an intellectual ascent to God. For me, I, there's something about taking that step, that physical step, and saying, Yes, Lord, I'm yours. Taking a step to communion, taking a step to pray with these wonderful people and saying, Would you help me in this? Would you pray for me in this? Would you walk with me in this? You know, I've. I, I first came here in 2001. People talk about hockey tears. There's a lot of hockey tears on these steps right here. All the hurts, all the pains, God speaking to me, God showing me. And I'm giving my life so I can live. Maybe you need to come and just kneel here and just be here and say, God, I'm yours. As the team sings, as they lead us. We're going to put up these questions. These are questions for you, but don't let them distract you from a question that God's speaking to you today. But, you know, all of this, it comes down to, I ask myself, God, who am I living for? Am I living for myself or am I living for you? What needs to change? What needs to change? In these next 40 days, what needs to change in my life? Amen. Lord, I pray that you give us the courage today to walk, to deny ourselves to die to ourselves so that we might live in your name. Amen. We seek, we ask, we pursue, we walk forward. Uh, this is the relationship we have with Jesus. We walk out, he calls us by, step, by faith, and we step, and we're like, ooh. And Jesus is like, what do you need? You bear it before him, you lay it out. You know, I think for some of us, one of, the big, one of the scariest things is sharing our faith. And I think especially sharing our faith with people that we see on a regular basis, right? I can talk to a stranger at the mall. I'll never see him again, probably. 
But people that we walk with, people maybe we've given up with, that's where we're like, wow, what does it look like? And then we think about, well, I'm not perfect, you know, so we fall into a lie. I'm going to get perfect, and then I'm going to talk to my coworker at work. And then we don't, because you'll be perfect when you're in heaven, when we're all up there with Dick and Dottie and everybody. In this, we walk it out. I had somebody once say, well, Dwayne, you're not perfect. Exactly. <laughs> That's the gospel right there. For a wretch like me, for such as I am. But here's what I found. And I talk about it, I lay it out. I'm praying that for all of you. That's the salt, that's the light, whether you're buying cauliflower or coffee or whatever. Or coffee with cauliflower and milk, if there's such a thing, whatever, you know. Yeah, you laugh now, but that, it's conceivable. Walk with the Lord, trust the Lord with all your heart, seek first the kingdom of God, be filled with the Spirit, take the step. He speaks and it's like, Lord, I'm going to do it, I'm going to step up and pray, I'm going to confess that I've been doing this stuff, would you walk with me? Here's what I need to walk in. You know that the great revivals began with confession. You know, we've been watching the beautiful thing that's happening with Asbury. They talk about somebody got up and confessed. The confession is dying to yourself. Because see, Jesus, he knows how to handle death. He's like, all right, now, now that you've died, let's bring life. Let's bring life to your marriage, to your relationships, whatever. Walk in that, amen? So, Lord, I pray that whoever that word is for today, God, may we confess and tie to ourselves. Maybe, maybe sometimes we're like we're dying a thousand deaths by talking to our coworker and trying to figure that out, trying to work that out. God, help us to know that in that moment, we're not salesmen, saleswomen. We're not trying to seal the deal. and We're just trying to be light, trying to be salt, we're trying to start a conversation. We're trying to learn how to do this. Teach us. We ask. Show us, Lord. We're praying for a mighty outpouring of your spirit that will flow from this place to wherever we go. So do your work in us as we deny ourselves and follow Jesus. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. This is our benediction. So benediction we say as uh, we head out today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now go and live for Jesus.